Hello, and welcome to the Cinephile New Wave. I'm Nick. I'm Rhett. And welcome. Uh, there's going to be no news this week. Uh, we just didn't feel like there was anything really important that had happened since our last episode, so we'll just forgo that this week. Uh, instead, we'll just go right into talking about uh, our film, uh, The Thing, from 1982, John Carpenter's... Uh, horror masterpiece, if I do say so myself. Uh, yeah. Also a remake of a, a 1950s film. The Thing from Another World, yes. Also based on the novel Who Goes There by uh, John W. Campbell Jr. Um, yeah, so The Thing, it's um, if you've never watched it before, it's about a American Antarctic research base who um, have this dog come to them and through various circumstances uh an alien comes along with that dog so it slowly begins taking over the crew and one by one uh they get assimilated into a horrible alien creature yeah <laughs> and it's it leads to sort of a like because the thing can perfectly imitate its victims uh, it may, it questions who trusts one another, who's really a thing, and who's really human. So they're all just trying to figure out who's human and who's not before they all get assimilated. Yeah, makes for nice tense horror. But I mean, anyway, you guys, you guys have all probably seen it. It's an absolute classic. It's you know all one of the all time great essential movies. But um, it just happens to be a, a favorite among me and Rhett. So we thought we should um, make a little episode dedicated to it also since we didn't get a lot of halloween content out but it's friday the 13th so this will suffice yeah um so there's you know a lot i could say about the film i love it to pieces i think it's you know one of the best out there but you know so does everybody else um i there are some very specific things that i like about the movie that you know may not be on everybody's radar. One of the things that always strikes me about the film is um, its lighting usage, how all of these outdoor sh nighttime shots of like these blue lights, it just looks really beautiful. And those contrasted with flares, which are red, you know, you get that lighting going on and it just, it looks wonderful. Um, yeah. Right. What if, do you, do you have any elements from the film that you like stick out to you as like being really great? Well, obviously, the, the practical effects are always a classic takeaway. Um, I think I like the characterization in that it's kind of light, but I feel like if it was any more in-depth, there would be some more like clear cinematic biases towards who's a thing and who's not a thing. Yeah. And I, I kind of it also makes the crew feel like more of a unit. So it's it's kind of harder to distinguish who is and who's not. But they still all clearly have personalities. I think you could argue that they're maybe a little tropey, but I, I don't know. I think I like most, if not all, of the characters in the thing. And I think for whatever their roles are, they play them well. Yeah, I mean, there are, there are like, what, I think 13 of them or something. But, like, each each one of them does, uh, you know, they get their little chance to shine here and there, I think, for, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um <laughs> At least it's not like in the book. The book, there's like 30-something crew members there. <laughs> and it's it's just like a lot to keep up with, and a lot of them are completely useless. 
when your Among Us lobby gets way too big. Yeah, 100 player Among Us. No, but uh, I think at the end of the book, um, like 20-something of them remain un un uninfected. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's a definite win for the good guys as compared to this. Um, I guess we'll just go into spoilers just because, you know, we need to talk about the ending eventually and, you know, no better time than now. Um, so, uh, we'll give you five seconds right now to leave if you, uh, want to do that. Five, four, three, two, one. Anyway, uh, the ending of this movie is bleak as fuck. <laughs> um, you're not really left with any, you know, happy feeling. You just kind of feel miserable at the end, and it's one of the things that I like most about the movie. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I said when I rewatched this that I think it's probably one of the best, like, fade to blacks in, like, any movie, at least that I can think of, because you have the brilliant soundtrack here, just kind of, like, once Childs, like, takes a sip, just the little, like, bump bumps that play you oh, out, and it's, God. like... Ennio Morricone, yeah. just going at it. Oh, my, my God. One of my mm -hmm. all-time favorite soundtracks. And then... It, this might have been just the computer I was watching it on, but like the talking about the lighting, like watching the whole sort of the final shot of the base just like up in flames, but like sort of surrounded by shadows, like it almost looked even like it, it kind of faded into the um, uh, the aspect ratio or whatever. So it almost doesn't even look like, you know, you've got this kind of singular shot in a surrounding. It looks more like just kind of, at least to me, it looked like the base was just kind of there, just yeah. kind of amidst a sea of blackness. And yeah, I'm like, no, that's just okay. such a, a pretty to look at shot. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's, it, I mean, it is, it is a really well shot movie. Um, I, just... I, I would put a caveat on, like, some of that in that, like, it's not all this like great cinematography. I think a lot of it just kind of works. I mean, you talked last night about how s some of the transitions and some of the editing, which we can get into later, is like well, that. Yeah. But um, I, I certainly think you know by the end you're getting some really a lot of nice mise en scène. The set pieces kind of just how they just kind of fade in with the lighting. Yeah, and you're more focused on the characters. I don't know. It's 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 hard to explain. It, I mean, I guess, the movie succinct. the movie definitely has at least like a unique aesthetic, I think, to itself. Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, think to that. So <laughs> yeah, the the ending is rather bleak, especially since John Carpenter has confirmed that either child that one of the two characters left in the ending is a thing. Um, yeah. So that has a lot of people theorizing about it, which I think is probably talking about things that stand out. The other really standout part of it that kind of gets maybe overshadowed by just the, the legitimately stunning use of special effects and, you know, John Carpenter's sort of body horror here, but just the fact that the movie is so like airtight in terms of, you know, the tension oh, yeah. and, how you know how it all fits it's, together yeah, no, it's... but how there's so, there's still so much of it kind of left open that you can figure out and like theorize about and it still works though you don't necessarily know all the answers like when did somebody so and so get assimilated you know could this person be a thing could they not whatever 
um and they like give you just enough information for the plot to work and yeah. like for it to feel satisfying i think that they leave just enough open where it's like yeah that's honestly i think what i what i noticed and appreciated most on this rewatch um is is just like the, perhaps the most interesting part of the movies a uh, part of the, the movie is what we don't see it's you know it's a lot of us trying to fill in the blanks and like figure out you know where things went to shit exactly because it's it's a lot of isolated incidents that you see in this movie it's like you know nothing's quite linear you don't really follow people for any large amount of time it's just cutting from you know these most important event to most important event which i think is a very interesting um you know way of editing it i don't know at least i i perceived it that way this time around well it gives you enough background information to where you feel like you're sort of like i don't feel like it ever skips out for a significant amount of time maybe it does that one point where mccready's just like sort of making an audio log yeah. i guess we we might times but for the most part it feels like you're right there with someone at least time and that you kind of get a sense for what's going on in the background like when uh mccready and uh, i can't remember who it was was it fuchs they were out in like the um the snowcat and like they were talking about how yeah, blair fuchs. was like had like locked himself in um, and then, like, at another point, when someone ends up outside, you know, there's McCready out in his shed, and you yeah, feel no. for, like, sort of what's going on on the camp in a macro scale. Um, Absolutely. But you're always sort of focused and in on one instance, and you're like, well, shit could be going on, and I don't really know about it. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, one of the most, like, intriguing mysteries to me about the movie is um, one child gets assimilated. And I was actually watching, like, YouTube videos today about the infection timeline and uh they brought up something really interesting is that um Childs is wearing a different jacket than the last time we see him and uh there's there's this one shot um kind of near the end of the film where it's just the door open and the jacket that is the one he is wearing at the end missing now from the coat rack which yeah, I think I saw that video too. Yeah, but that's... that also sort of brings us back to the. Oh, sorry. No, 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 no. I'm just saying, like, it's uh, like you know, you you watch this movie like hundreds of times and you never spot these details. And it's, yeah, it's just just great storytelling, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that brings us back to the 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 ending. You know, talking about Childs. I know you and I both sort of agree that we think Childs is the one who's the imitation yeah. by the end. But, but ultimately, are... ultimately, it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, yeah. It... Well, well, I think some people have argued it matters because some people really like the theory that the bottle McCready has at the end is one of the Molotov cocktails he was setting up. Yeah. So when he gives it to child, that's like part, that's why he laughs because he realizes the thing can't tell that it's gasoline and that he's gonna like light the thing on fire and like they'll probably still die but at the end of the day you know that they'll probably beat the thing so maybe that's a little bit more of a positive reading which i i could see that and i could like that but um yes yeah, certainly um i think it is completely 
arguable that you know McCready is a thing well the other as well the other theory i heard about that is that it's it is real alcohol but um i guess it's established somewhere that uh you can transfer via food oh yeah that's why they said you can only eat out of cans yeah so it can be and so that's that's the other that's the other test that he failed because he wouldn't have accepted that offer if uh you know <laughs> if he wasn't a thing because he wouldn't have thought yeah. about it. Yeah, probably. But then it also could be like they're just so tired, they just want to drink. I, I I, could see some sort of reality in which, you know, maybe Childs was just like, eh, fuck it, I'll take the drink. But um, yeah, certainly that's something that you would want to be cautious about. Um, yeah. And I think that's the implication, too, where it's like if Childs isn't, you know, is a human, you know, because if that was like a dead ringer for as to who was uh, human or not, then I feel like that would be like pretty obvious and people wouldn't still be theorizing yeah. about it yeah. today. And then, of course, there's the the breath theory, which um, yeah, I noticed kind of breaks a little bit because you can kind of see Childs' breath yeah. like, I, in one shot. You, you, you can definitely see breath in one shot, but basically that theory goes... Uh, you can you can see McCready's breath a lot in the final scene, but for whatever reason, the lighting on on Childs you can never really see his breath except for like one or two shots where it kind of sneaks through. But um, it, it's interesting because earlier in the film, when Norris gets all knocked out, they uh, they say he's not breathing. So you know that gives us some sort of implication that the thing I guess does not need to breathe. <laughs> Yeah, because it's probably breathing on like a cellular level. I guess it doesn't really necessarily need specific uh, specialized organs. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, and also, as for like you know, seeing Childs's breath at one point, as a person who subscribes to the theory that Childs is the imposter, um, <clears throat> that um, that one shot where you like kind of see his breath, I just chalk it up to like the same thing to like how in Blade Runner there's that one shot where you can see Harrison Ford's uh like replicant eyes and I just chalked that up to like that was just kind of a little oopsie there and like it was because the shot was like mainly focused on showing Rachel's yeah. replicant eyes yeah so uh, yeah it's just you know mistakes happen that's all it is um mm -hmm. so I want to ask you between the two famous gore bits of this movie, the blood test scene and the Norris chest chomp scene, which do you, which, which is your favorite? Ah, uh, that's, that's tough. I, uh, I think Norris is the better gore scene. Um, uh, but I think, I like the blood test scene more just because of how the tension plays out and specifically like how they, um, uh, how they direct your attention to, uh, who was it? Not Palmer, but, um, the guy sitting next to Palmer. Um, Gary, do you mean Gary? Gary. Yeah. Yeah. How they're it, like right before he tests Palmer's blood, he says like, well, do you last? So like all the attention in the scene is on Gary, but then he tests Palmer's blood and it just, it turns out that Palmer's the thing. And like, that's just such a great like turnaround. Yeah. Like even, even going in knowing 
the what's gonna like I will always praise horror scenes that can like manage to at least make you feel like kind of stressed out. Yeah, and like even knowing like, when it's gonna happen. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah, like um, like that. That's why I love the Dallas the, the, the vent scene. Yeah, from, yeah. From, from Alien so much because it stresses me out to no end. Even though I've watched that movie like a bajillion times, just just and even about, here, like just thinking about Dallas and the vents. Thing. You know, it's just like yeah, it's it's just like just knowing this information. You you have to live knowing knowing that this guy is doomed and that you know. Yeah, creates this burden and even, on you. Even like as when you're viewer. watching this, yeah, and even when you're watching this scene, and it's like you know that Palmer, the blood is gonna pop out at you, and Palmer is gonna be the thing. Um, like you're just kind of forced to turn your attention on Gary. Like even if you're just like waiting for the blood to pop out at McCready, and it's just such a great way to like make this snap turn around. Yeah. That is just so jarring to the viewer. Yeah. Well. Um, one of my one of my favorite things they do in the scene is um, when they go and test the blood. Uh, I think one time before that, we get um, the hand that eventually the you know the creature comes out of, and you can tell you can kind of tell that it's fake. But the thing is, you're already used to it um, because the time before they use that same shot and nothing happens, and then when they use it again, then it happens and it freaks you the fuck out. And it's just, it's wonderful because they, they prime you for it, which is, like, really cool. Yeah. Uh, and, like, weirdly enough, talking about the, the gross out of um, the, um, the, Nor the, sorry, Norris. Norris, Norris yeah. Yeah, the Norris scene, which we can, we can talk about that scene Hell too yeah. as well, but, like, uh, just, I... I, w I was talking with you before, but just how, like, gross out seeing them fucking slash their thumbs is, like, oh, weirdly yeah. in a movie full of, like, gross out. It's just, it's effects, just the like, basic watching. fucking, like, medical horror, just, like, you, s like, slicing your thumb in a really gross way. That's one of the, that's one of the worst things in this movie, and there are, like, weird tentacle monsters. Yeah. This is not to undervalue the dog scene as well. I think Hell that's no. a great way to uh to kick the film off i mean there's just like no holds bar there i mean because arguably it holds up to the north scene the north scene almost kind of goes on to like a comical extent especially with palmer's you gotta be fucking kidding me line yeah um kind but of. like just seeing the seeing the dog thing just like its skull burst open it's shooting stomach acid it fucking grows arms and does a pull-up like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, I I mean, like every single gore scene in this in this whole movie is just absolutely wonderful. I think my my favorite is um, I honestly I I love the head. I love the head that uh, Norris has had. How it just pulls apart from the rest of its body, <laughs> and then yeah. it it has those uh, like really gross fucking green veins, and it's like spewing out this like pus liquid it's just awful and you have this head that's just like you know even after all that madness it fucking falls off and uh <laughs> it grows spider legs and eyes and just you know scurries away it's it's absolutely amazing in how like shocking and wonderful it is 
Yeah, and also how it like shoots a tentacle out from its mouth, like, and it still has its tongue like yeah. hanging out. Yeah. It, so it wasn't like, oh, I'm just gonna turn my tongue into this weird tentacle. I'm gonna have my tongue dangling, but still have this weird tentacle thing come out of my mouth. Yeah. Like the complete lack for like of like how humans would normally make sense of bodily functions. Like that's probably. One of the skit, like I saw a video doing a great job at analyzing, uh, like the alien, and uh, also successively H.R. Giger's art in general, and why like it is just so particularly like distressing to look at yeah. for people, and like there, there's a lot of that in the thing too, kind of in a different way since the, it is more directly subverting. It's like you think this is a human, but really this is this terrible monster. Um, but certainly just the complete lack for how we would think that bodies and animals are supposed to work. Yeah. And, and I think that's not to discount the, um, you know, the end animatronic either. The, uh, you know, the big Blair thing at the end, because I like, I, I only just discovered on my, on my last, uh, viewing that, um, uh, you can still kind of see Blair's head on that head because I only ever look at that huge mouth that's coming out to the side. I, I've i never noticed that there was a Blair head there. Yeah, I... This, yeah, this time I kind of noticed how, like, still present Blair is in that thing. Because, yeah, I think that's probably the amazing part is, like, it's, like, it's almost an impulse, like, where you don't want to look at it. Like, you don't want to analyze it in, in its totality because it's just that disturbing. Yeah, well, I've I mean... I've seen this, the ending so many times. Like, even just in YouTube video clips and stuff like that. And it's just, like, I I still feel, like, maybe now I finally have a more accurate depiction of what this thing is. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of weird thinking because you think it's just this weird, like, big meat dragon almost. <laughs> yeah. And that it has just gone like full, like there's not even any Blair present, but it's like yeah. you can still see Blair in there. And, and, I and love... for some reason, I always thought like the dog part of the thing was coming out of the side, but it's actually coming straight out of his chest. It's all weird. It's great. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I just love how it's like an amalgamation of like, you know, everything that it's turned into, or at least kind of is. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I feel like we. Keep... I will say maybe. Sorry, hmm? we keep jumping back and forth, but, like, I do want to also mention, just kind of, you know, also give it's, give a fair share to uh, the, the whole dog animatronic. The whole dog animatronic at the beginning is absolutely fantastic, the way it, like, fucking just, like, peels back and just is gross. I know you kind of said it before, but it's just, like, it's just so nasty. <laughs> like, it just needs to it be stated, like... It really is, and it, it, it taps very well into that whole, like, we just don't want to see bad things happen to a dog, yeah. and, like, and we, we trust animals, man's best friend, you know, and that's what's so subversive about some of the earlier scenes, just walking, watching the dog, like, walk around the camp, and especially knowing, like, that this dog is a thing, like, some of the earlier scenes just become all that more, like, grim, yeah. just watching that, and then the fact that they don't cut away from the dog like after um, the one character. I forget his name. There are too many characters. Um, yeah. As much as we praise the earlier character, it, I mean it's it's a stand. Uh, Clark. Clark's it's a, it's a, the dog. Keeper. Clark. Yeah. 
it, it's it's astounding kind of like how many characters names you can remember in this and yeah. that speaks to how how well done they are but yeah after clark puts the dog in there they don't cut away they don't like they don't like cut back to like the the rec room or something like that and then like oh yeah these guys are all fine here while stuff is going on out there and, yeah like, they, they let the scene play out. They let the dogs bark at the dog, and then they just show the dog how the dog thing how it has it, the blood coming from its mouth and oh the tentacles. Yeah, going all the like it. gross, like pink stomach acid that it's shooting out onto the other poor dogs that are there. I yeah. This scene, this scene always gets everyone that I show this movie to. Like it's it's the. <laughs> It's the poor violence against dogs that, like, everybody's like, no, no, this is, this is the scene that gets everyone. So I guess, you know, if you don't like, um, animals being harmed, don't watch this movie because it is, it is pretty intense to watch, but, uh. Also don't watch the rules of the game, the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things, but. <laughs> um, um, if. It, just to throw like a little bit of uh, critique in there, I guess, um, as you know, since we're spending a lot of time praising the movie, which obviously it deserves praise, but um, if we're talking about the quality of some of the gore scenes, I think probably the weakest one is Bennings's assimilation. Probably. He's just kind of like in a corner with like with, uh, with tentacles kind of wrapping around him. Yeah, and it's the tentacles don't look particularly really convincing i wouldn't say it's bad but it's certainly the weakest and yeah that is kind of counteracted by the the absolutely chilling scene you get after that of him like with his weird hands well yeah even then even then the lighting does kind of show his hands um you can kind of see his like actual hands in the background but it kind of works anyway just because you know it is kind of morphing and changing yeah but i mean and then something mm. Oh yeah. There's um there is some stop motion in the film which kind of looks off compared to everything else. Like you I don't know. I notice it whenever I see it, but um right before we see the whole Blair animatronic, the there's this kind of stop motion tentacle that grabs the uh TNT detonator, which I mean it, it you know, all for I'm all for the art of stop motion, but like it does kind of stick out compared to the rest of the effects when they hadn't really used it before. Yeah. And then also, um, I, I would say, I think in terms of effects, like the, the Norris scene is perfect. Um, like I really have no complaints there. Yeah. Uh, I will say that during the, the Palmer scene, the blood test scene, um, something that like always sticks out to me oh. is that like the, the first couple of shots of like his transformation is like this very like consistent, like oh his eyes are like bugging out and it like makes sense but then there's just this one shot where like he's kind of not moving and there's just like a bunch of blood like pouring down his face and his face now looks like completely different than sort of the transformation that was going on in the previous shots and then like when we see him again next like and this is when he starts kind of like rocking the the um the couch like up and down and something like that his face looks kind of completely different and then of course it splits open and starts attacking uh windows and stuff like that but i i do think like it's weird to try and impose consistency on yeah thing, i mean yeah but, i i like, you can't really crack the these things up to anything it's just sort of but it, it but most of the time when you see a thing transformation like there's at least 
like it's all weird and gross and you can't apply logic to it but it's consistent like from one shot to the next and i feel like palmer's is the least consistent which doesn't make it not good yeah but i it mean does the sequence is me. still really great um mm-hmm. i i guess I, the worst looking thing in this movie may actually come from the palmer thing because when he picks up windows by his head when he like chomps down on his head Mm-hmm. <laughs> he starts throwing them around the room and there are clear points where you can tell that that's just like a you know cotton stuffed body of someone that they're yeah. just kind of attached to that mouth which is is fine because that kind of emphasizes how strong the thing is to me i don't know that's how yeah. i kind of brush it off but <laughs> it does look a bit silly when you just take it you know as is yeah i mean and you also have it like just it kind of walks through the, for some reason, non-insulated walls. Yeah. Um, which, you know, you can chalk up to like, oh yeah, you know, like the replicants in Blade Runner, again, just walking through walls. Yeah. Like it's nothing. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Do you, uh, do you want to talk about the remake at all? Or the, I guess, prequel uh, is really what it is. The prequel, maybe let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about that in a bit because I feel like there's some more stuff. Maybe we need to talk about. Yeah. Um, I I particularly like the performances here. We talked about characterization before. Um, obviously, I think they're the standout actors of Kurt Russell and Keith David. Um, I think Kurt Russell is a great leading man here, but I also feel like especially like from uh, Blair and Doc, like you get some really good performances. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I I really like Nulls too. I think Nulls is a very underrated character. Um, he is, but he just doesn't have much to do in yeah. the movie, especially like he's very I, present. It's like, Nulls and he... Palmer, like you like them, but it's not like they've really done anything either. <laughs> I feel like Palmer is more present, like, after they they figure out, like, what's going on with the thing. Yeah. But kind of, like, after the introduction of the thing, Maul's kind of, like, just seeps into the background there. Like, he's there. Yeah. Not until the like, end does he really yeah. do anything when, they're, when he's one of the only ones left. Um, yeah, I mean, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell in this movie is just fantastic. He's just, like, he's... He's just playing the strong, you know, independent man, which, you know, it's not a revolutionary character, but he's just really good at playing it. Um, mm-hmm. he, he's just so, like, I don't know, just has his own style. He's very assertive and tough. He's not, like, exactly Clint Eastwood or, you know, John Wayne. It's, it's just, you know, he's, I, I think, really created his own character in MacReady, which is really yeah, cool. Yeah, and he's... He- he's clearly got like a sense of humor and stuff like that. I mean, like one of the first things you see him do is just wreck at 20,000. Yeah. Uh, and that, that like stays there kind of throughout the whole thing. I mean, obviously he takes stuff seriously and he's not just cracking like Marvel quips, like every two seconds or something like that. But like he has like, even up to the end where he's like, he's just shouts down the, the Blair thing and is like, yeah, fuck you too. Yeah. Uh, you know. I, yeah. He just gets so like consistently tired throughout the film is that's, that's something that I love is just like, you can tell that he is like being worn down with each scene. 
just within his delivery, you can just tell it's just like, maybe we need something with someone with a more even-tempered child. It's, you can tell that there's like this like anguish and exhaust in his voice, but he is not going to bed no matter what happens because he wants to live. Yeah. Speaking of, of Childs, I like Keith I, I've David, always appreciated Childs's I've always appreciated Childs' character, but I think this time I was like particularly paying attention to him. I I'm like he's Imagine being in like his shoes, because like he's clearly also very concerned with surviving, and like people are kind of like talking down to him a bunch, and so I could see like why he gets kind of pissed off, because he gets kind of like turned down at every like occasion. Like he volunteers to be the leader, and people are like, "Nope, you're you need a more even." Yeah, Clark's then, just like, like not having him as the leader for some reason, but like no one no one objects to McCready, so it's like I, I just you know you can kind of tell that there's some like you know, tinier beefs within the camp about, like, you know, who trusts who, which I think is cool. Yeah, I think that's cool. And I think that it, you can see kind of, like, talking about, you know, the the pressure that adds up and builds on McCready, that sort of defining his character. You know, you can see that sort of in Childs as well, even though he's not as much of the focus of the film. Talked about last night how I, I just love that one line where um, Windows is like, you know, they, they lock McCready out because they think he's a thing, and Windows is like, you know, uh, what if we're wrong about McCready? And then Childs is like, well, then we're wrong. That's just such a great delivery yeah, of that line. And that that, that's, that really just kind of, like, defines the whole movie at that point. And it just, yeah, it just goes along so well with that ending where it's just like, you know, shit's fucked at this point, like... We gotta, we gotta look out for ourselves. Like we can't, we can't trust anyone at this point. Everything's going to hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's just like, I just love that because like, movies just don't do that. Like they don't give you that. Like, some, some do. Some, some movies do give you this like, ending that's just like completely ambiguous and perhaps like, awful. But to for that to come out of like an American horror movie is just, you know, something really cool to see. I mean, it was interesting, like how you brought up that, you know, this is, this came out the same year, I guess, weirdly talking about Blade Runner, you know, it also came out the same year as Blade Runner, which that's kind of a grim ending as well, but like in a little bit more hopeful way, I guess. Well, the funny thing is, I think... E.T. Yeah, well, Blade Runner, Blade Runner released with an optimistic ending, though. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It did. <laughs> but so yeah, this this movie, all both of them came out the same year as ET, and this was just kind of like the antithesis to ET. Like you had this cute little alien. Alien, uh, yeah. And... Which I guess some people have pointed out that in ET, like I guess we see him as now, but he was like is kind of objectively kind of ugly. So the idea that you could make like Steven Spielberg could make you feel empathy for this alien is like kind of a big achievement yeah yeah i think the so i don't know can he make you feel empathy for the thing <laughs> i don't know i don't know um big fan of both movies though i i grew up on et and then as a teenager i grew up on the thing so it's it's strange that the these two movies got kind of paired together in my life i i never really grew up with et um the thing is definitely had a stronger impact uh, on on my 
cinema view, I guess. But um, I did rewatch E.T. this year as well. And um, yeah, very, very good movie. I think there are parts where I, I, I wouldn't say it's perfect, but, you know, I see why it has stuck in the American consciousness for so long. And, and not to say at all, it is a, a bad film. It is a, it is a very nice little film. Yeah. I honestly, I, I, I loved revisiting ET when I did, but anyway, this isn't about ET. We should probably fucking talk about the thing. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I guess we can just I talk guess... about the general reception upon release since we're kind of talking about when it came out. Um, like we kind of mm-hmm. just said it, um, it did, it was kind of the antithesis of ET, but in being the antithesis of E.T. in 1982, when E.T. was the biggest thing that ever happened in the history of the world, um, the the film got, like, shat upon when it got released. It, um, you know, people really hated this movie. Um, uh, Roger Ebert, I think, called it, like, the ultimate barf bag movie. Um, and I think... Well, I... The, uh, the original director... Sorry, I'll like, let you finish your idea. Yeah, the original director, uh, this John Carpenter as well, I think, when it came out. So that was like, yeah. It, I think it also, like, really failed at the box office, too, which sucks because, you know, uh, you know you'd know, you expect it, at least someone to find this, you know, upon release, but, uh, you know, guess not. <laughs> anyway, um, well, go. yeah, I think, that happened to, I think that happened to Blade Runner, too. It definitely got overshadowed by E.T., um... And it, it took a while for people to like come around to Blade Runner post-release. Um, I do think Roger Ebert, he was like a little bit more understanding, but he certainly definitely was not a fan of it, at least on release. I, I read the review right before this interview, or sorry, not interview, podcast. Um, and like he understood why people would want to see the movie, but he chalked it all up to the practical effects and like the gross out stuff, which I feel like just vastly undervalues the, just how well this movie employs tension and the, I I mean, how airtight this we were talking about. Uh, Obviously none of these praises by now are nothing new. I think for the most part, people have come around to this movie and see it for what it is. Um, But yeah, I, and I think it's understandable because certainly the standout thing, at least on a surface level about the thing is the practical effects and the gross out stuff yeah but i mean yeah but it's it's like i think that draws most of the audience in most of the audience who sees this movie in is just to see how good the special effects are but like when you start rewatching it you'd like i don't know there's a lot to love about this movie yeah i i think the, the the tension and the writing is and john carpenter's amazing direction here like really is what keeps people around yeah but, uh, yeah um so yeah i think we've talked about most everything if we want to move on to the prequel i guess maybe just lastly uh i know you had some comments on the editing here um, that we maybe haven't discussed yeah so uh one of my only other like small problems with the movie uh, there are actually two and i'll say both of them um so one of my like small problems with the movie is that like some of the editing choices are just really weird. Like, there's a lot of just, like, um, transitioning scenes. There's just a lot of, like, fade to blacks where you think there should be more to the scene. And it's just very awkward in some situations. Like, I think the most egregious example of this is um, 
when uh, Blair is there and they're all talking about, um, you know, where the ship is, where, where it came from, what is it. And they ask Blair something and he looks up and it just cuts to black. Like, he, <laughs> you expect him to say something in the scene and he just doesn't. And it's just so strange that they cut it off right there. Um, my other complaint is that some people just deliver lines weirdly. Like, for some reason, it always sticks out to me when, uh, I think it's, uh, Cooper, or Copper, Copper, Copper <laughs> screams out, somebody got to the blood in a very strange way in the, uh, in the scene where all the blood bags are cut. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I definitely remember, uh, last last night when we were watching it like there were some lines where it's just yeah some some weird delivery and we we kind of like made fun of that um but but still good oh yeah overall a, a very very good also i think one scene that i quickly want to mention and i guess is a good segue into the next topic but i really like how well done the um the scene where they visit the norwegian outpost is Hell yeah. that's that's just such a great way to like sort of set up the rest of the movie, like this almost completely different story that we know nothing about. Yeah, um, you just see you just see the aftermath of a shit show. <laughs> you you essentially, I mean, well, I guess now it is an actual movie, but you essentially see the aftermath of what's going to happen to the American station. Yeah, you know. Uh, funny thing about that is. Uh... That set is actually the aftermath of the American base. They just, like, did a few things to it and, um, I guess, like, rearranged some places. But th I guess that is the burned-down set that they had. Oh. Well, <laughs> so, that, that, that honestly kind of makes it even better. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just foreshadowing in a way. Um, mm -hmm. though you'd never know. Uh, so the prequel... Um, prequel remake in 2011, um, is about the, uh, what happened at the Norwegian base. Um, it's, it's an all right movie. <laughs> I don't know. What do you want to say about it? Because I have opinions on this. Um, uh, so, I mean, obviously the, the common takeaway from the 2011 thing is that, um, is why did they use digital effects instead of practical effects, especially since they prepared some practical effects as well? The most frustrating and, uh, part of that story. Yeah. And so I think people kind of take that as a, oh, if they had just done the practical effects, the movie would have been good. Yeah. It's and critically and sort of by fans panned. Yeah. Um, the whole the whole movie got um, turned around. Actually, I think the the entire like third act was completely restructured. They were going to have like this when they had all the practical effects. They had this like crazy alien that kind of looked like what it's described to be in Who Goes There, which I thought would have been a really cool nod because it's I, and the thing in the book is described as like three red eyes, and it had three red eyes and. I don't know. It's just cool that it kind of like matched what the thing is supposed to look like. And that basically all got taken away because they said the effects looked too much like they were from the 80s. <laughs> oh. <Okay. laughs> 
That's literally uh, what the producers said when they saw the cut of the movie with the with the practical effects. <laughs> and uh, uh, what's wrong with you? I I don't think necessarily the practical effects would have saved the movie, but uh, like if what you say is true, then you've gained my trust. Um, but like, I mean, it's I guess it's a like worse if they went in that direction, it, it would have been more interesting. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I definitely didn't think the ending was... I think maybe it's really interesting if you're, for whatever reason, interested in the lore of the thing, which I'm really not. So I didn't really want to see, like, a space... what the spaceship looked like. I didn't want to see this kind of big, you know, thing, I guess. I think what I really wanted was just the the tension of the original with some of the gross-out scenes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I I think, um... It doesn't, it, it, you know, it's not on par with the first one, but had they maybe had practical effects, it would have been very easy, easily, like, accepted as, like, uh, a prequel. Because I, I think the major, you know, the major thing holding this movie back is those digital effects. I don't know. Yeah, That's certainly. I think it, I think it would have, um... Like, like, had they had the practical effects, I feel like it would have been more accepted. And certainly that would be more of a reason to watch it. Like, I feel like right now, if people ask, should I watch the 2011 thing? It's a very, like, eh answer. But if it at the least had the practical effects, it's like, yeah, you should watch it. Yeah, yeah. And whereas now uh, it's just like, yeah, I mean, if you really like the thing and you can get around the fact that they ruined this in, in kind of a way... <laughs> then you should watch it, but like if you're not that into this, then you can skip it. Yeah, I mean, maybe if you're a Mary Elizabeth Winstead fan, yeah, or a um, then, that may be the or the point or of you really like, watch it. Or you really like Tormund from Game of Thrones, <laughs> or that, or you like uh, what's his name, Joel Egerton? I think is the no, no, it's some, it's something Clark. Uh. Jason Clark, that's who it is. Jason Clark, yeah. Who's Joel uh, again? I'm I'm mixing up people from uh, from fucking Terminator Genesis, I think. Yeah, uh, Jason Clark is a fine actor. I like some of the stuff he was in. I I really no, like I am him. right. It was Joel Egerton, not Jason Wait, Clark. Really? Yes. Fuck. Which <laughs> one? <laughs> Who's Jason Clark? Uh, Jason Clark and Joel Egerton look very similar. Uh, I don't know. They just have like the basic white man face, so it's easy to like confuse them. Anyway, uh, Jason Clark's in. Um, he's in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, that's that's the one I really like him from. Yeah. There's <laughs> the fucking dad in Pet uh, Cemetery. Anyway, this is not the Jason Clark hour, so let's get back to it. Um, yeah. yeah um, it, it's just, it's so frustrating to talk about this movie because of that, uh, that whole hold up with the digital effects. But like, one, th- one thing that I do like in the movie is they didn't decide to, you know, completely copy the blood test. And I think the way that they, um, instead do it in that instead they do it um by molars they check to see if you have a molar which is kind of cool and 
different because the thing could never replicate like metal in your mouth or anything like that, which is, um, you know, it's just, it's unique and, and different. And I'm glad that they didn't just, you know, do the same thing, which would have been really easy to do. That's something I liked also about the thing. And I, I think that's one of the better parts of the thing 2011 is how you don't really necessarily know the full extent of its powers. Yeah. Like, and how there are these sort of holes in it that you can maybe see that it's understandable that the crew of Outpost 31, you know, in the original didn't. Because, um, you know, there's a lot going on. You know, there are things that could work about the thing that could not. I mean, originally even the blood test, like they weren't sure it was going to work. It was just kind of a theory. Yeah. Um, and it paid off, but... Um, I think, I think yeah. it does experience the uh, alien prequel uh, alien prequelitis where like all the characters are a bit dumb too. I some of them make some pretty poor decisions in this movie. Like Mary Elizabeth Winstead just trusts someone enough to go off alone with them in this movie, and that of course ends in disaster. And it's just like they yeah, they, like, they would never do that in John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah, but also that scene was a little weird because like. I, I think it, it kind of blows to hell one of my theories because I, I theorize that, you know, if the thing breaks its imitation, it can't, like, go back to... Um, well, also they say in the original thing that, you know, the thing wants to hide its vulnerable in the open, so maybe, like, its monster form is a little bit more vulnerable. Yeah. But, like, also I said last night that I feel like if you could just be a giant monster with tentacles and shooting acid and stuff like that, like, that just seems, like, way more advantageous than masking as a human. Yeah. But so that sort of led to my, my theory that, you know, um, perhaps if the thing breaks its imitation, it can't revert to like just looking like a normal human. And then that gives it more of like an incentive to like stay as a human and like infect people that way. But then in that scene where Mary Elizabeth Winstead walks with the other character goes alone, it's just like, OK, I'm going to transform into a giant monster now instead of just doing maybe like what the Blair thing does to... um to Gary at the end of the original thing, which is like assimilate it without like. This thing you know, is aware it's in a movie mode. and goes for a dramatic reveal for the audience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's basically what I crack it up to, but um, yeah. And then she survives. So yeah, it doesn't matter anyway, but you know what? I, I do, I do like that movie. If anything for, just the performance of Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and it's just more thing content, even if it's less good thing content, is honestly how I look at it. It's, you know, it's it's fun to watch if you like this movie enough. Yeah. Um, and, and certainly there are problems that exist in, in the original thing, like people acting stupid. Like, I think people point out how they don't wear a lot of, like, gloves and PPE in the thing 2011 yeah like, you know in the original thing you have like uh you have um why am i afraid? you have blair like poking the thing with a pen but then just putting the pen like in his mouth uh, <laughs> yeah and like uh windows just being the the scalpel on his pants yeah or just you know tossing those um dirty drawers just on a place where people will probably touch it's, you know, th that's the thing about picking apart horror movies is that, like, you can do it for every one of them because without dumb decisions, horror movies wouldn't exist. 
but yeah but there there certainly can be people acting excessively dumb yeah and i think like in in regards to like the ppe and like the the scalpel on the jeans or whatever i crocked that up to mostly like as movie watchers we don't want to like waste time like watching them disinfect a scalpel yeah or like putting on gloves and stuff like that so just you know, for the, give for it a the little sake bit of, of pacing of for the sake of pacing we're gonna spare you all of the details mm-hmm. yeah um just kind of get at the movie all right well those are the thoughts on the prequel i i think Rhett hasn't seen it either we both haven't seen the original, and I'm going to fix that, and hopefully I can do a podcast episode on it if you would like to join me eventually for that. But maybe I'm not too I'm not too interested in watching the original. I kind of uh, I don't know. I've seen like some of it. I kind of know how they beat it at the end. I'm I'm a little more interested in just kind of keeping my thing experience. John Carpenter. Yeah, fair enough. But um, I'd like to get around to that. I, I know that's like a sin for some people that I haven't seen the original when I'm this big of a fan of the uh, 82 version, but I thought I'd put that out there. Uh, the other thing I thought I should put out there is the, uh, the video game, because I played it, and it's really good. So John Carpenter looks at the video game of the thing as basically an official sequel, he did have a slight hand in it, and I think he voices one of the characters. So, you know, if you're looking for more Thing content, that game's pretty fun. Um, comics, I've read some of the comics. Um, they're, they're cool, you know. It's just, you know, more Thing material, if you are into it. I think uh, they are worth a read. Um, and finally, the last little bit of the thing will continue on forever, is uh, that they are going to make it again. <laughs> um, yeah, so John Carpenter announced that um, Blumhouse will be doing a uh, kind of redo of the thing based on Frozen Hell, which is the expanded edition of the novel. Um, that's kind of... That'll be interesting. Uh, John Carpenter is going to be producing it. Um, so... We'll see how it goes. Hopefully they get a talented director who really cares about this project and not just a throwaway Blumhouse director. Did um, um did, did John Carpenter direct the new Halloween, or did he just produce it? No, he just produced it. I think David Gordon Green uh, directed it, but he's like a talented guy, so hopefully yeah. they'll also get a talented guy for this one. Yeah, because I was like, people seem to like that, so... Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll be interested to see how it goes. You know, Blumhouse makes some good stuff. They make some throwaway stuff. Um, I, I think they just put out, like, a horror comedy called, like, Freaky that a- apparently is being well-received. Yeah, yes. I think it's by the Happy Death Day director, so it makes sense that it's, like, yeah, decent. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah. I'll, be, I'll be interested to see how that goes. I will probably watch know if i'll like it or not but you know they haven't even put out a trailer yet so yeah but you you know um, if uh you love the thing you love the thing and i i hope it's good i hope it succeeds um god who would be who would be a good director for it nowadays um i feel like it would, it would have to be someone who's good 
with ensemble casts. Yeah. Um, I feel like, okay, maybe separate the director from the whoever's doing the effects. I mean, obviously you want a director who's committed to the effects, but like, you know, maybe don't necessarily look for a director who's like experienced in practical effects and just kind of find an effects person who can do that. Yeah. But I'm, I'm about to throw out a weird suggestion here. Um, but just, you know, talking about with ensembles and um, that are sort of airtight. Damn it, say it already. Uh, Knives Out, Ryan Johnson. Oh shit, Ryan Johnson, The Thing movie. Oh my god. Oh my god. It's gonna be The he's Last a, Jedi all over again. How dare you? <laughs> he's not a horror director, but I mean, like... I, I think he could do it. Um, you know, that's just if he wants to, though. Um, yeah. You know, Neil Blomkamp. <laughs> um, uh, you know, you know who might actually be good? Um, uh, why am I now forgetting his name? Uh, Jordan Peele. Jordan, um, Jordan Peele might be good. Might be a good perhaps. choice. He seems just interested in, in producing uh, horror movies right now, though. Yeah. He, he doesn't seem very interested in directing. And, um, like, I'm cool with the projects he's working on. I'll be interested to see the Candyman sort of remake or sequel, whatever it is. Um, but, like, yeah, it seems like they're just kind of stamping his name on a bunch of Blumhouse things, and I'm just not very interested. Like, that doesn't really sell me on stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, um, if they could possibly get him in the director's seat, that would be cool. But, you know, yeah. he's probably, like, I don't know. I think he turned he, he turned down, like, an offer to direct the, the new Marshall Ali Blade movie. Because he was like, I don't really want to work on franchises right now. That's not really my thing. So Yeah, and, and of course he seems interested in, in doing sort of a racial theme to them. Um, which, uh, you know, you could, I guess you could maybe, like, do a take on the thing with some racial themes to it or some yeah. xenophobic themes to it and sort of as like a critique. Um, but I don't think that's inherent to the thing. And especially if like John Carpenter is wanting to produce something that is more accurate to like the new chapters they found in the book or whatever, then like he's probably not the director to do that. But maybe if, maybe if it turns into sort of a franchise, if it gets maybe revived by this new movie, yeah. they can do like a sort of spinoff. Uh, I'd I'd have loved to have seen the. Uh, they were planning on doing a, a TV series that would have been a sequel, and I think that would have been cool. I've read the script; it's it's all right, but I mean, like, you know, what pilot is ever perfect? David Lynch, the thing. <laughs> oh God! Oh my God, dude! If uh, Panos Cosmatos from Mandy. If he got a hold of this, oh, make it like really oh. fucking crazy. Oh my god, I think that'd be amazing. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess maybe one of the the thoughts, if if we have nothing else to close on, maybe sort of close the same way uh, the movie does and uh, talk about the soundtrack, which we've kind of alluded to before, but we discussed it a little bit last night. Yeah. And- Ennio Morricone's soundtrack for this movie is absolutely fantastic. Quentin Tarantino thought so, so he just took some of it for Hateful Eight. Um, yeah, so um, 
I'll explain that little fact since that's just kind of weird and out of the blue otherwise. Uh, so uh, the, the soundtrack for The Hateful Eight is also by Ennio Morricone. And what he did was he just uh, used some of the unused music for the thing in The Hateful Eight, which is kind of a cool connection. Yeah, especially given that, like, it's... Yeah, it's, it's a bunch of people kind of chilling. It's in, also like, a Kurt Russell plan. in a frozen place. Um, yeah, and I, I love also, like, looking at that. Um, our friend Sarah, who watched it with us, like, the, the thing with us last night, was like, oh, I'm getting Halloween vibes from this soundtrack. And we were both like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But I think it's interesting, like, looking at those in comparison, like, to, like, iconic soundtracks. And, like, one is just very piano-heavy, very, like, high-tempo kind of stuff like that. I mean, that. it's a little bit Whereas... synthy, and I guess I can understand where she's coming from there, but I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, and this one is very, like, it's slow, very, like, background-ish. Uh, this, this one feels a little bit more synthy, like, the other one that yeah, piano-heavy. But this it's, one feels, it's like, darker. very beat-heavy. It's a darker soundtrack. Yeah. If that makes sense. The the and beats it, it, are heavier. It's like it's more like haunting sounding. I think. Mm -hmm. And it, it really captures the, you know, Halloween has that you know slasher tension. You know that you know something could come out at you any moment kind yeah. of deal, or whatever. Whereas this one is, you know, I I think the soundtrack more accurately channels the whole you can't trust anybody theme like. Sure, the giant tentacle monsters are scary, but so is the idea that someone you've that known you for can't, months. Yeah, you can't trust your own friends. And, you know, it, that just comes across so, so well in the soundtrack. Uh, if I had to... I don't know. I don't know if I could say what my favorite track is, because they're all just really, really good. Um, well, I, I don't really know the tracks. I need I need to give them a listen and maybe learn them. But yeah, um, I mean, there were just so many points movie last night. We're just like, man, the soundtrack is going off. Like even just um, in, like the one scene where they find the, the melted ice block at the Norwegian camp. Like for some reason, like just the, the soundtrack is just, you know, the, the strings there are just fantastic. Yeah. There's, um, actually, when you listen to the soundtrack isolated, you, like, pick up on a lot more. Um, they, they kind of use, uh, the, the parts of the music, it actually kind of sounds like, um, this is gonna sound weird, but, like, you know, old, uh, like, Universal Monster Movie music, like, I guess, organs? That, that makes sense, though. Yeah, I guess, like, organ music, like... It's very like like it's 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 something you wouldn't expect from the soundtrack because you don't really hear it in the movie, but like once you know it's there, you pick up on it. It's it's yeah, uh, it's a nice sound. I love it. Just a fantastic soundtrack. Yeah, for yeah. a fantastic movie. Absolutely wonderful. Well, as you can kind of tell, we're running out of things to say. Um, but uh, thank you for joining us on this episode. Uh, any more comments on the thing? Any last comments you want to say? Uh, right? Go watch it. Um, yeah, other than yeah. other than go watch it. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, 
uh, do yourselves a favor, watch this movie, watch it again if you have seen it already. Uh, love you all. Uh, goodbye. Are we doing the, uh, what have you been watching? Oh, what shit. I mean, we can if you want to. I guess so. <laughs> so, Nick, what have you been watching? What have you been playing? What have you been listening to? What have you been reading? Uh, <laughs> I have been watching... Oh, God, let me see. <laughs> Gotta go back all the way on Letterboxd. Uh, what's the last thing we did? We did something on Twin Peaks? God, I've watched so much. I'm just gonna go for, like, the past week. Um... I'll start with Jaws. I rewatched Jaws recently, and Jaws lives up to the hype as like being a really good movie. I know that's a controversial opinion, but I'm gonna gonna put it out there anyway. Jaws, good movie. Um, I I I think that movie holds up a lot better than most people will say it does. I think. Oh even, yeah, I totally agree. Even more so than something like Jurassic Park, because I had actually just watched Jurassic Park relatively recently. And, um, I don't know, it just, like, it didn't grab me as much as, uh, Jaws did on this last rewatch. So it's, I don't know, I, it's just really well put together, it's just really tight, you know, it's, it has it's Jaws, it's fantastic. It too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of other classics that I know is going to be controversial to say are good, Citizen Kane, um, I rewatched, which, um, was a really good experience. I kind of, you know, got it even more why, why it's considered to be like, you know, baseline great movie, um, you know, which is always important. And I think it was good that I saw it before Mank comes out because I'm really excited about that. Um, on Halloween, I watched Dawn of the Dead, which was really good. Watched it on YouTube because, you know, the rights for Dawn of the Dead are all screwed up. Um, also watched uh, Internal Affairs, The Aviator, um, Sniper Special Ops, which is a Steven Seagal movie that I just watched because, you know, it's funny to laugh at Steven Seagal's modern career. Mm -hmm. um, then I watched Blowout, uh, the uh, Brian De Palma Blowout, which was really good. Um, Gamora I watched for class, uh, you know, Italian gangster film. And then I watched After Hours, and then the thing. So, yeah. Uh, for what I've been reading, I haven't really been reading anything. Um, I think since last episode, I read the uh, Flashpoint comic series, but, like, no one really cares anyway. So, um, yeah. Uh, have I been playing anything? I guess not. Just, uh, you know. A little bit of phasmophobia. Yeah, a little bit of phasmophobia. That's it. Um, but I think that's it for me. been listening to a lot of the Twin Peaks soundtrack because it's just fantastic. Uh, speaking of... Oh! Started The Sopranos. That'll be good to note. We'll probably do an episode on The Sopranos eventually. If we haven't already. I can't remember if Deron's done one. But, yeah. Um, that, okay, yeah. That is really it. Um, Brett, what have you been watching, reading, listening to, playing, whatever, whatnot? Um, well, so, uh, on, on the, before election night, I, I watched LA 92, nice. which was a, a, a documentary about the, um, uh, the Rodney King riots. So not a very good time to watch, watch that. Yeah. Um, it was very well made though. Um, like there's no narration and there are very few like 
insert titles where they give you information. So it's just kind of like this whole narrative constructed from like news clips and radio footage and um, not radio foot, radio, audio and TV footage and stuff like that. And it's, it's fantastically made. So if you're interested sort of in, in that sort of subject line, I would really recommend it. Yeah. That sounds uh, interesting. I, I've watched some like class wood stuff related to class. Um, uh, my history of film class, I watched Cabin in the Sky. I rewatched Casablanca. Casablanca is good. Another controversial take, <laughs> I know. Um, and then The Lady Eve, which was a fun little romantic comedy. Um, I watched two uh, Mizuguchi Kenji films. I watched Osaka Elegy and Sisters of the Gion. What um, else is that guy made? Uh, uh, um, let me check. I think Osaka Elegy might be one of his more famous ones. Um, I feel like I've heard of him. Uh, I mean, yeah, he's considered, like, one of the big three from, like, the classical Japanese era with Kurosawa and Ozu. Hmm. Um, he made Ugetsu. He made oh, Ugetsu. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he, he's known, if you don't know about him, he's known a lot for sort of um dramas reflecting the uh the hardship of women in japanese society um osaka elegy was about uh um like a a boss's mistress essentially and how she's being mistreated by uh her family but also by the people at her work uh and then uh sisters of the gion was about two uh, sisters, both geishas in modern-ish Japan, I think. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, modern Japan, because they were sort of lamenting how geishas still exist in modern Japanese society and how that sort of reflects this uh, attitude of women. Yeah. They're, they're also kind of poor. Uh, that was my favorite of the two. Um, I thought there were some fantastic shots in that one. So, uh, yeah, but... I, I assume you can't really go wrong with any Mizuguchi Kenji films. Uh, I also watched Bicycle Thieves for the first time. Uh, great film. Another controversial take, I know. Um, <laughs> it's like only one of the most talked about films in all of film history. Um, Dude, but Bicycle I, Thieves? Kind of good. Yeah, kind of good. Kinda, I know, right? Kind of uh, good. And then uh, also in that the Italian neorealist vein. I watched Rome Open City, which I, I like that one. I, I wasn't like I loved Rome Open with City. I, I, like I, that, I probably I need like to rewatch it because I, I like his hat. Yeah, I like his hat. <laughs> I was a little I was a little distracted while watching it, so I feel bad about that. So I might have to go rewatch it. But I also have some other Italian neorealist films I need to check out for class. Um, and sort of rounding it out, bringing it back to, I guess, sort of um gross out stuff i watched existence for the first time the david cronenberg film oh nice and that was my first that was my first cronenberg that looks weird and i want to see it um i will be honest i wasn't a big fan i could see why people would like it like sort of meta elements about it um like yeah. obviously it's about video games but then you know people are like oh well it's about cinema and then really if you look at it it's just kind of about storytelling in general which I thought was nice, but I thought, I don't want to spoil anything, but I thought it just gets a little bit abrasive in its presentation. Mm -hmm. And 
I, I had a hard time like not rolling my eyes at some point. Yeah. The David Cronenberg e stuff about it though, the like grossed out stuff, um, that's that's cool. Like if you're interested in that, like yeah, go go watch it. You should definitely see The Fly then. I think you'd really like. Yeah, the no. Fly. I I've been meaning to watch The Fly. I honestly might just watch it tonight after after we finish up with this. But I also told some friends I would play uh, um, Sea of Thieves. Mm. So uh, yeah talking about stuff we're playing um yeah and i guess in that regard i've just kind of been playing league of legends because the season ended and that's kind of what i've been listening to the the new kba songs that got released but um yeah that's that's basically it all right that's cool yeah um all right well after a bunch of false endings here's the real ending (laughs) um uh goodbye everyone uh thank you for listening um you know hope you uh Having a good week. Uh, Thank you.